Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. This is Lindy Kaiser with clearancejobs.com. Welcome. Today we are talking about our 2022 Security Clearance Compensation Report. This is an annual report that we do over at clearancejobs.com. Provides excellent insight and data into the state of the security clearance workforce, especially when it comes to what people are getting paid, which is a pretty important topic. What are people making in the national security space kind of can show some some trends around that. And today I'm chatting with Jill Hamilton. She's the editor over at clearancejobs.com. So it's a clearance jobs party in this part of the episode today. I'm sorry. She's going to talk about she puts together the report every year, analyzes the data. She develops the survey and the questions. So she is intimately familiar with what this survey is and with the data set here. So I know data is very hot right now, Jill. So let's go ahead and nerd out about the data. Who fills out the clearance jobs compensation survey and kind of what is the purpose of the survey for clearance jobs? Yeah, thanks for giving me a chance to talk about this project of mine. I love doing this every year. We had this past year over 52,000 respondents, which is a 14% increase from the prior year. And then after we exclude out participants who don't have a security clearance or who are active duty or students or unemployed, we had over 24,000 responses that we looked at. And then from those respondents, many come from federal agencies. I mean, obviously, DOD has the most respondents, but we have all the different agencies represented, as well as all the different clearance levels and federal employees, contractors alike weigh in on the survey. We really look at this industry each year because we want to provide a resource to both recruiters and candidates on compensation in the security clearance industry. And it really does give a good pulse point of where we're at each year. So sometimes we can feel the different movements. You know, you watch the news, you hear from candidates, you hear from recruiters on things that they're feeling. But when you can put real numbers behind those feelings, you really add a lot of validity to the claims that you're hearing. And so I think, especially in the defense industry, the pandemic took some time to shake things up a little. 2020 was all about supporting the people, keeping things going, making sure family needs are met. You know, people had to work from home and all the kids came home from school. But then fast forward 2021, government funding stopped and everybody's expected to go back to normal, even though the rest of the world is still not normal. So, you know, obviously remote work is challenging to find for many clearance holders. So now we have this major battle for clear talent, like the real estate market a little bit, where it's really a candidate market. You feel a lot of those pulses happening in the numbers that come out of the survey this year. Yeah, no, I mean, it's data plus feelings. It's like IQ plus EQ. You know, you need both. Like you need to know the data. Then we're just looking at the demographics and the shifts. So I wanted to talk about the demographic shifts because that was a big part of this 2022 compensation report. What are we seeing in terms of the generational shift in respondents? It's an interesting look at that because last year's survey, millennials and Gen Xers were equal in their numbers. This year, what we see is Gen Xers, just like everything else, I'm like, held pretty steady. <laughs> but then we, there's a bump up, a 6% increase in millennials and a 6% decrease in boomers. And even those coveted Gen Z, the new generation coming into the defense industry, there was a 1% bump from them as well. So it's good to see those shifts happening. It does change some of the compensation numbers as older talent 
rolls off into either other options or their second act in life or they're retiring. And then you see the millennial field growing even more in the cleared industry. So I think that's going to be a continued trend and they're going to be pushing for more money especially in the next coming years, as they jump into these bigger shoes to fill, you'll see that reconciling a little bit later. It was also good to see women had a 1% increase in numbers. So it'll be interesting to watch as that demographic continues to shift in that direction going forward. I think remote work and flexible schedules will impact both men and women equally and in different ways going forward. But it does mean that Retention is really the name of the game this next year. You know, candidates in that five to 10 years of experience have a lot of bargaining power right now because a lot is falling on their shoulders because they're having to step up to meet some of the gaps in the workforce. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out in the years ahead. No, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing that pushback a lot. Like everybody wants the middle, you know, management worker, but where are they able to go to find their biggest compensation boost? I think we're seeing a lot of employers talk about that. Retention is key. Are we going to see retention bonuses or how will that flesh out in terms of paying your existing workers? Because that is the disparity. Like you're hiring new workers and you're having to pay a lot more to get them onboarded kind of creates the disgruntled middle management folks and creates a lot of churn and flex in that in that demographic, which I think is anecdotally we're hearing is a big is a big pain point. Which industries are generating the highest compensation? Not all cleared careers are created equally. We find there are certain industries that consistently pay more than others. What are those kind of key six-figure salary price points within the cleared industry? Right. That's why it's always the million-dollar question when people want to say, do you make more with a top-secret clearance over a secret clearance? Well, you know, it depends. (laughs) What kind of job do you have? So that is one of the interesting things that shakes out from this. You know, both software and systems engineering were the highest paid occupations this year. So IT fields definitely step up. They are consistently six-figure salary occupations, even if not all IT or engineering fields are, you know, at the, the peak end of that. They are consistently in the six-figure salary range. But usually business sales or management fields keep pace with the tech fields. This year, systems and software took a big leap ahead. The overall average for both occupations are just under 130000 And then business sales is about like 10000 less. I think it's really helpful to look at the occupations by experience level, especially though, because that's really where you see um, what the true averages are, you know? So of course, education, certifications, those are also going to move your compensation dial as well. But those two fields, IT software and systems engineering, were the highest this past year. Yeah, I'm going to be really curious. That's What I love about this report is that we've done it annually for a number of years now. And again, you taking over the survey has been fantastic because you have such a great mind for the data. So I, and I, you know, that matters. And so we see like a lot of interesting nuggets pulled out. Again, seeing these kind of anecdotal, it sort of makes sense to me that business sales fell just because we just saw like sales professionals were not traveling as much. I mean, the good thing is government was keeping pace and was steady, but it makes kind of sense that if you're a sales professional, you just weren't maybe generating the churn that you were. But in the IT sector, obviously, uh, I mean, a lot of companies had to scale up what they were doing within tech, again, to hire and to retain those folks and to keep them from, you know, pants optional 100% remote route. And also just 
create the technology to allow all these people to work remote who were. So just the demand for tech, you know, increased, you know, business sales, you just, there were just shifts in how those people operated. That doesn't mean, you know, we're seeing things reopen. We're seeing company travel happening again. We're seeing our events, you know, calendars open again, in-person things happening. I'll be curious to see how that those continue to shift if tech remains king or if we start to see, you know, what else moves the needle and where things move. And I think like even with funding from the government in like coming in and supporting corporations so they could keep their doors open, you get contracts mods to extend the period of performances so you can keep your staff on. There weren't, you didn't feel a lot of layoffs in 2020, like other industries felt. But what that does is really kick the can down the road, even for like sales to try to hit the streets again, to get in more (laughs) revenue for the company. And that stability was great in 2020. You felt it a little bit differently in 2021 when the doors opened back up, though. That's kind of how it, it worked a little bit more in the defense industry compared to like other industries. So you talked at the beginning a little bit about how recruiters or hiring managers can use the survey. So if you're a recruiter or hiring manager, maybe someone on the, again, the attracting talent side of this piece, you know, how is the compensation report useful? Yeah, I think the survey data really gives recruiters and hiring managers a pulse point on the industry just from a lot of different angles. You know, we look at location, we look at years of experience, occupation, along with a lot of other questions. And it's really a unique industry here. It's helpful, I think, to have somebody who's in tech, to have tech industry standards that you're pairing with them with. But, you know, a software engineer, like who's reporting their compensation from Facebook, doesn't have to fit into a contract billet for five years experience on a DOD contract at a designated labor rate, or even within, you know, an overall contract value that was, you know, what somebody had an initial proposal. (laughs) So there's just a lot of other constraints that defense recruiters work under. So I think understanding industry norms and changes really helps drive what the salary negotiations can be, you know, with a large dose of reality here. So not only does the occupation um, and experience factor in, we look at all the different states and which states are paying more. And of course, not every location pays the same. So the higher the cost of living, the higher the salary, even with like the DC candidates, we looked at who reported that they worked inside the Beltway. And for those of you who do not know what the Beltway is, it's 495 that makes the huge loop around the DMV, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And if you work inside that Beltway, there was about a $20,000 difference to those who are in that same area, but outside the Beltway. So even that information really matters when you're coming up with a good salary number for your candidate that you're trying to get in the door. And like speaking of DC, we also asked candidates what they liked about DC, because sometimes that could be a hard area to recruit for. Even though we have a lot of candidates there, that area actually dropped by like a few percentage points this past year. We asked what would make them happy. Candidates happy if they can't have remote work, because that's another big conversation point this, this past year. We saw for both of those that opportunities and compensation, those were key pieces of the satisfaction puzzle. We sometimes want to get really crazy with offering these cool, we want to look cool to employees and candidates of like, you know, this great office environment, outings as a team, and those things can help. Those are great. But really, the overwhelming response from these candidates was that they want 
meaningful work, they want opportunities, and they want compensation. And depending upon the candidate, compensation might even come higher. Inflation is <laughs> is rising. So, you know, it's one of those things where you, you kind of have to make sure there's enough. So if you can't give them really cool things to do, at, you know, or make them feel like they're making a difference, at least pay them more. That's the response that we're hearing from the candidates. Those are the major important things for them. Yeah, you can't, you can't pay the young people in pizza anymore. <laughs> I hear that no longer works. It worked for me when I graduated. It was a different era, though. It was different back then. I might make a t-shirt that says that the 20k beltway bonus. I mean, that's like pretty significant. It makes I don't know. It makes you makes you think about about where you live, and it and it makes sense with the cost of living and the housing market, and those things are you know are frequently tied. And we see the housing market right now is just very hot, and so the demand for talent also very hot. And the commute too. So like, that's a key piece of your remote work puzzle too. Like when people are asking for remote, because they don't want to make that commute. Well, the reason why you have that commute is because it does get you more money. If you are going to work in the city, yes, it does cost money to park your car or to ride the metro or all those other things. Like those are factored into the salary as part of the cost of living. So I think that's a helpful tool for recruiters to realize in the bargaining piece. Like there are things that go into that number. Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's, yeah, that's a critical piece of it. So it's, it is, you mentioned this before, you know, what it takes to attract candidates. It is annual promotion kind of season. We see salary increases. We see, you know, the White House getting ready there, budget proposals for federal pay increases. If you have this, you know, how is it useful for maybe candidates to take this data set and, you know, use it when they're having that annual review conversation with their employer? I think sometimes it feels overwhelming to talk about raises or talk about money with your employer. And I get that. But in the reality is, it's cheaper for employers to retain a good employee than to try to fill their shoes. So really look at that location, you know, what your occupation is, and what your experience numbers are in the, the salary data, see where your salary lines up and negotiate accordingly. I think it's especially important to do this if you're in one of the six figure salary occupations. Like I said before, this list generally has the same players each year. So I think checking out experience levels to see where you fall on that spectrum can really help to see where you need to move the dial. And that can also open up conversations. So it doesn't have to be you know, give me this compensation or I will leave. And for some people, that is what they do, right? But that doesn't necessarily, it's a small industry. So that's not the tactic that you want to take. I think it's a great opening conversation with your management to see how you can actually grow as an employee and have more opportunities to show them that that is where your heart is. Because if you have a field that's adjacent to one that's actually higher paying, you might see if you can get other training, you know, or education so you can really make future moves. So that way your resume is not static. I think some of the best managers get experience in like a few different areas so that when you're, because when you're managing projects, you have so many touch points into all these different industries and things that you have to be familiar with. So kind of getting a more well-rounded experience can actually pay off later when you are able to move into a management position if that's what you want to do. So because a lot of times, especially for contractors, like you can actually be a manager just of your you know, the area that you work, your field, your occupation. So if you are in software engineering, you could be a, you could just manage all software engineers. And like, that's an internal position in management. But then there's also the project management and program management where you can manage all the different team players on a project for the government. If you're able to jump around a little bit, that really will speak volumes, I think, on your resume. So, I mean, in IT software, for instance, the management level average is around 173,000, which is 40,000 higher than the overall average. 
And then it's actually almost 70,000 more than an entry-level IT software candidate. So it's a huge bump when you get into the management levels or the 10-year mark. Getting experience in multiple fields, you know, like I think sometimes can maybe slow your compensation right around the five-year mark when you're trying to build more experience and build that resume, but it definitely pays off down the road. It's kind of like investing in a graduate degree. <laughs> you know, you pay out the money and then later on, you often will see that increase later on. Because I think con sometimes on contracts, we get siloed a little bit into this is my role on the contract. This is what I do. This is all I see. I don't really think of what other people on the team are doing. And so when you can broaden that knowledge and experience in defense contracting, you want to make sure you jump at that opportunity. And it's really, not to be on a soapbox here, but it's, it's why we need more on and off ramps even to like civilian positions so that the back and forth even between civilian and contractor worlds is more accessible. So that way they can have better communication with each other. And really the experience of the civilians and contractors starts to like, they understand each other. And I think just the whole, the whole program management experience is it would be a lot different. I think if they can move back and forth within the field so much easier. But it's been it's been hard for civilians, I think, to to do that. So hopefully down the road that that change happens. Yeah, <laughs> it's something the government's talking about for a long time. And like you say, I think you know you hope that as they look to improve onboarding into government and also offboarding, that they would factor that in as well. And in terms of how you think about, you know, government career progression, we've seen a lot of reforms in the clearance process. I think um, government knows they need to make some pretty significant reforms in their hiring process. We'll see if it happens. Anyway, so thank you so much, Jill Hamilton with clearancejobs.com for joining us today to talk about the Security Clearance Compensation Report. Check it out online. Search, not while you're driving on the Beltway, people, but search when you're back at your desk. Look in the show notes. We'll have a link to it there. Or you can search it at clearancejobs.com. Find a link to that 2022 Security Clearance Compensation Report. You will be armed with all of the compensation intelligence you need to take back to your employer to use in your hiring efforts. Thanks again, Jill. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.